Well, good morning. Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, please. As you turn, let me just kind of hang this out there for you to be thinking about. Uh, The poet songwriters of our day, and not just our days, but others, the poet songwriters have a way of tapping into the foundation of our times and into our obsessions even. One of the evidences of that is, I guess, if you go to look at some of the songs that have gone platinum or multi-platinum as it relates to sales in our time tend to have a way of speaking into the reality of certain circumstances. So that's why Garth Brooks sang... He's a Christian. No, he's not either. Garth Brooks saying about, I have friends in low places. Sold a lot of albums because of that song because he tapped into some of the psyche of who people were in those days. Maybe a better example for us to follow would be that of Tim McGraw in a little more contemporary way as he reached into the part of the heart of parents everywhere as he said to his daughter's What did he say? He said, stay humble and kind. We wouldn't really expect, and no offense to our seniors in high school in here, but as a rule, we don't expect seniors in high school to be very good students of the nuance of the human condition. You certainly wouldn't have expected that of some of the friends that I had when I was a senior in high school. And so that made it all the more amazing when Jimmy Carter, not the guy who was president, but Jimmy Carter, the guy who was my friend, Jimmy and I got into a lot of trouble together. He was a percussionist, a drummer like nobody that I had known before and many since then, but uh, Jimmy was a closet student of human nature, and I didn't even know it until... We were in English, floor, uh, English 4 class together, Mrs. Blackman's class, to be sure. All of us were seniors in there, and she had given us this assignment. I want you to go find a poem that speaks to you about life. And then you memorize it, come back to, church, uh, to class, and recite it for us. So I picked something simple. I'd been a piano student, and so I think the one that I chose was I dropped my dolly in the dirt I asked my dolly if it hurt, and no, I didn't do that really. Um, But that's the level of thinking I was doing in those days. We were all shocked, and especially Mrs. Blackman, a very proper English teacher. We were shocked when Jimmy Carter, the party guy, stood up, and he began reciting these words, as it turns out, written by David Gilmore and Richard Wright. Here's what he quoted, ticking away the moments that make up a dull day. You fritter and waste the hours in an offhand way. Tired of lying in the sunshine, staying home to watch the rain. You're young and life is long and there is time to kill today. And then one day you find 10 years have gotten behind you. No one told you when to run. You missed the starting gun. Are you a student of human nature? 
Are you one of those who looks around you and sees what's going on and looks for the hand of God in that? Are you one who is especially aware and cognizant of time as it passes? Time for us is a preoccupation. Actually, that's a really nice way for me to say that. The reality is that time for us tends to be an obsession. For instance, if we decided today, if I decided today that I was not going to worry about the clock, by the way, just so you know, there's one mounted just below the balcony there, and it doesn't flash, <laughs> but it, it's a reminder to preachers, one and all, who stand in this pulpit, you're on a time frame. All right, now, I'm saying that, and obviously, I'm overstating that, and I'm okay with that. But if I were to say today, you know what, I'm not going to worry about that clock. I'm just going to preach until I'm tired, probably an extra hour or so today. Now, just the response, just there. This is hypothetical, but just that response tells me you would not be for that at all. I wouldn't either, so don't worry. Time for us tends to be an obsession. If we were to take a poll of this audience and I were to say, how many, don't raise your hands or anything, if I were to say, how many of you wear a watch today? Then most of us would do that. And for those of us who don't wear watches, if you happen to use your phone as a guide for time, how many alarms do you have set if you don't think that we're obsessed with time, tomorrow morning, instead of going in to work at the normal time, just wait an hour and a half and go in and see how your boss feels about time. Time is an obsession for us, may well be even worse than that. We have watches, we have clocks, and we have timers, and we have alarms, and we have stopwatches, and we have ovens even that remind us of what time it is. In your chase for fulfillment, welcome back to the chase, by the way, but in your chase for fulfillment and meaning in life, I want to submit this truth to you today. You better learn how to tell time. Now, I'm not talking about the way we tell time necessarily. I'm talking about the, the appearance of time and how we process it and how we handle it in our lives. And we come into Ecclesiastes chapter 3, which is, as we've been reminded already this morning, a famous passage of Scripture. The birds helped us to memorize this. Those of you who are old enough to remember that song, to every season, turn, turn, turn. Time is always in front of us. And in our search for meaning, in our search for fulfillment in life, we must learn how to tell time and to know what time it is. So today in that part of your search and your chase, I want to give you three questions. Now, realistically, it's probably going to be two just because of the time limitations that we have. You'll be surprised as we work our way through this, just some offhanded comments that always stop and remind me, oh, there's that time thing again. So follow along with me as we read in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're going to actually be all the way through verse 15. But I want to begin by just reading the first eight verses so you can follow along with me as we go. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up, 
time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Well, wait a minute. That, that's bad. That Baptist part of that gets us there. Verse 5, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And so as we step into this, and I'm going to come back to verse 1 pretty quickly here, but let me just give you an idea of what you just listened to. As we stretch from verse 2 all the way through verse 8, in rapid fire way, the writer of Ecclesiastes lays out for us these these pairs. And each one of those pairs have statements that are based on either end of a spectrum. A time to be born, the other end of the spectrum is a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to harvest. And that is a literary technique that he uses to pull us all in. This is poetry, and it is beautiful poetry, and it is dense with meaning for us. And the common theme as we work our way through this is this writer of the book of Ecclesiastes in his own chase for meaning and fulfillment and purpose in life, he comes up against this reality of time. If he lived in our day, I would understand it, but I don't know all that there was to know. But here's a guy who lived enough in the awareness of what was going around him to realize that in this big picture, the, the, the stand back and survey the whole landscape of life, he says, you can't get away from the reality of time. And so he gives us his summary at the beginning in verse 1 when he says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. He has said to us that there's a season, a time, an appropriate time. There is this reality in the ebb and flow of life. His response, his, his final conclusion about time was, well, there's a time for everything. Well, that sounds good, and it might even be one of those things that we've memorized through the years, but let, we need to stop and take, take a little bit of a study and understand what he's saying. So let me just tell you, I'm not going to take the time to work through all of those verses worth of these pairs that are given. Let me just take the first one and see if I can underscore what he's trying to do with that. What he says there, verse 2, there is a time to be born. I have someone in my family who is going to become exhibit A for that as a truth in just a couple of months. My daughter, Lauren, contacted Teresa and me uh, Friday to let us know that they had settled the date for her cesarean section delivery of my newest grandchild. They just keep coming, as it turns out, these grandchildren. (laughs) And I'm intrigued by this as we consider time and the impact on us. He says, the writer says, there's a time to be born. And so my daughter calls us to let us know, why do you think she did that? because she wants us to be there. Well, she wants her mother to be there for sure. Well, her mother wants to be there for sure. Her mother will be there undoubtedly. But let me ask you this. Let's just get behind this. Why is it necessary to schedule the birth of a child? Is it true or is it not true that that child's going to be born one way or another? Now, I'm not a medical genius or anything like that, but I think it's pretty, pretty clear that if there's a baby in there, it's going to be born. 
So why do we need to schedule it? Why do we need to schedule it two months out? And here's a couple of good pragmatic answers for that. For one thing, the doctor has a schedule. There's that time thing again. The doctor has a schedule, and so if he's going to be the one to deliver that baby, he's got to get it on his appointment calendar. And so my daughter wants him to be there, so I'm good with that. Here's another piece of that. Not only is he scheduled, now apparently the hospital is scheduled too because it seems that it's important that those plans get synchronized. So that when they get there, there's a place for them to go for this baby to be delivered. The baby will come one way or another, but in order for that to fit our schedule in life, we're going to schedule the birth of this baby. I'm all for that. But what I want you to hear, this is exhibit A for the truth of what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying. There's a time to be born. We just have perfected the time to be born by scheduling it when we want it. And just so you know, the other end of this particular verse is also true of my granddaughter, Lennon Jade. <laughs> that happened to me in the first, I had to go to my, my research department to get the, last, the second name down, right? Um, my granddaughter will also prove the value of this verse at some point down the road when her time on earth, there's that time thing again, has reached its end, she will also die. There is a time for everything under the heavens, a time to be born, a time to die. In case you think I'm overstating that, I I think it's important that we step back a little bit and kind of own what we need to own here. Our fascination with time has reached obsessive levels. The tendency is, and the probability is, that many of us, most of us even perhaps, even those of you who are retired and your time is your time, we still schedule our time and schedule our days and we go from one appointment to the next and we're in a hurry to get from here to there and heaven forbid we run into some kind of a slowdown on the freeway because it throws my whole day's worth of appointments out of whack. We're obsessed with time. And one of the things that seems to happen with that in our own personal chase is if we miss what he's doing in these first eight verses, then it just frustrates us. Because what he's doing in these first eight verses is giving us that big picture, that, that, that stand-back perspective to look at the world as we have it around us and as it's going on around us and to step back and stand back and slow down enough to look and see that there is, in fact, this ebb and flow of stuff around us. That'll become more important by the time I get to the end of this message, but I want us to stop and grab hold of that as much as we can. We get so busy, so scheduled, that if we're not careful, we fail to live in the process of scheduled living. Teresa helps me with this. Those of you who don't know, Teresa's my wife. She helps me with this. Because I'm one of those guys, I like to work, and so I just kind of dig in and double down, and I, you know, I, I get blinders, and it's, we're going here, so let's go. And so I just get busy, and it is, for me, uh, it's one appointment after another, and that's fine, not a complaint at all. It's just the reality of our life. But every once in a while, Teresa has the gall to say to me, we really need to FaceTime with our granddaughter, Mackenzie. 
and it's a, it's, it's a wake-up call for me when she does that because I'm working, and I have appointments, and I'm on schedule, and that's not in my schedule. But she, she, what she's doing with that is reminding me that life is not about just work. As a matter of fact, what she's reminding me is that we have a relationship with our granddaughter in which not only does our granddaughter need some time from us, we need some time from her. That bigger perspective of life says, if all you see about your time is the next appointment, you're going to miss some important things about life. So here's the first question I want you to to hang on to that will help you Uh, as you work through your chase for fulfillment and meaning in life, here's the question. What's going on in your life? I don't just mean what's the next appointment. I don't mean what's the next project. I mean as you stop and you step back and you take a big look at life, what do you see? What's going on in life around you? What season are you in? What season are the people around you in? What, what's going on in the bigger picture? I picked this up in verse 9. I've already read through verse 8, so let's pick up verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. In other words, he steps back from it all. He says, there's a season for everything. That's my big statement, he says. And here's the detail that I came to. There's a time for this and a time for that. But at the end of it all, he comes back to to that one so typical a chase kind of a question. What is the value of working all the time? I would submit to you that in 21st century American business life at least, and maybe even our hobby life, we should ask that question more often. So why am I doing all this work all the time? There's a season for everything, he says. So if your daily life is driven by tasks and schedules and you're tired and you're worn out from it all, let me encourage you to repeat the question, what's going on in my life? I go back to finish up what my friend Jimmy Carter quoted And it hits this point exactly. What's going on in my life? How busy am I? Why am I so busy? Here's what Gilmore and Wright had to say as they come to the end of the lyrics of that song. They said this, and you run and you run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking. Racing around to come up behind you again. The sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older. Shorter of breath, one day closer to death. Each year is getting shorter, never seem to find the time, hanging on in quiet desperation until time is gone. What is the time? What's going on in your life leads us to the second question. This is a great question that you probably should just kind of build into everyday life for yourself. The question is, where's God in this? If the first question is the one that orients us back to the bigger picture and out of the drudgery and the slavery to the clock that runs our lives, this is the one that begs for an interpretation of what's going on. So what's going on in your life? Secondly, where's God in that? When we slow down enough, 
we will find that there is incredible nuance built into our lives. And God fans into life some of those little nuances that we so quickly miss when we're living based on a schedule. So we step back, and as we find the writer here in, the, in verse 11, a beautiful verse. It, it is packed with meaning for us. It breaks into three different pieces. I'll look at two of those today. But this is a great verse. Verse 11, he says, He, that is God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Here's what I want you to get. One of the things that happens is as we begin to slow down and catch those nuances in life, and we get out of the drudgery of our schedule and the slavery that it can bring to us, we begin to see things that we typically miss in life. And one of the things we typically miss is that there are hurting people all around us in life. A number of years ago, I heard this story. I think that it was from Max Licato. I'm not positive about that. Um, but it's told as a true story. There seems to be evidence that it is. And it has to do with a bird named Chippy. And according to the story, Chippy was a pet parakeet of a particular lady and uh, loved her bird, I guess. And uh, so one day she was cleaning up her house and was vacuuming. And so somewhere in the process of that vacuuming, she decided that she needed to clean out Chippy's cage. And so, because she was kind of in a hurry because of her own time constraints, she just pulled the end off of her vacuum cleaner, which made it just the end of the hose, right? And it's still on. So she stuck it into the bottom of Chippy's cage and started vacuuming out all the stuff, and her phone rang. And so when she reached over to answer her phone, apparently she moved the end of that, and she heard... (laughs) And she wheeled back around to look at the cage, and sure enough, Chippy's not home anymore. And so she gets off of the phone, she turns off the vacuum cleaner, she looks around, and she, so she rips the vacuum cleaner open, she cuts into the bag, and you know, dust goes everywhere, and sure enough, there in that bag is Chippy, having made the trip through the tube all the way into the dust receptacle part of her vacuum cleaner. Well, she loved her bird enough that she didn't want her bird to be caked with that kind of dust, and so she pulls Chippy out. She runs over to the kitchen sink, and she flips on the water, and she throws Chippy underneath that water. Just so you know, those birds don't have gills. And so Chippy gets doused in water, but he gets clean. So she pulls him out. Chippy, by this time, is beginning to lose touch with reality. Not a typical day in Chippy's life. And so she sees Chippy, and Chippy's wet, and it can't be good for a bird to be wet like that. So she goes and she gets her blow dryer out, and she begins. <laughs> Chippy's having a rough day here. So she blows, blow dries Chippy until everything's cool, or so she thinks. So she puts him in his cage, and life goes on. And that story begins to filter out. She told a couple of her friends, and her friends, you know, have, that's a story you have to tell. And so the, in that little town, the uh, local reporter got word of that and so decided to do a follow-up story on Chippy's bad day. So the reporter goes over and sits down with a lady and gets the whole story. At the end of it all, the reporter asks her, 
so how is Chippy? And the lady said this, well, Chippy seems to be fine. He just doesn't sing much anymore. I would submit to you that you're surrounded by people in your life who have had bad days just like Chippy did. And if you'll slow down enough and let your tyranny of appointments be pushed to the side just a little bit, you may well find that there are a lot of people in your life who just don't sing much anymore. Life has a way, time has a way of stealing our song from us. The writer of Ecclesiastes understands that. We might push the question, where's God in this? If I stop, even in my own life, maybe that's part of the therapy that we uh, self-administer to ourselves. I, I have this pain inside, but as long as I'm busy, I don't have to deal with it. And so we just pack stuff in, but we don't have much of a song anymore. How do we make sense of time? And how do we make sense of those times where life seems to be difficult? Notice what he says first in verse 11. It's a, great, it's a great thought. He, that is God, has made everything beautiful in its time. You know, I have to tell you this. We're three weeks now into this whole study uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm glad he finally gives us some good news. <laughs> if you're not careful, you can read into the book of Ecclesiastes and be most of the way through it going, this is the most depressing book I've ever read. But if we'll stop and slow down enough, we find that every once in a while, the uh, writer, the preacher here will lay out this truth for us. And if we're not careful, we just skim right over the top of it and we miss incredible truth. He, after, after this chase that he's been on, and we're getting this play-by-play and retrospect as he says, I tried this and I tried this. And as I was trying this, I came up against time. And so I had to check time out. And this is what I saw. I, I got the big picture. And there's a season for everything in life. There's appropriate time for everything in life. And God has made everything beautiful in its time. Most of us would quickly say amen to that. But let me get us to pause a little bit longer over it. One of the things that I said when I first came was that we have to make sure that we're really in tune with what's going on around us in this world if Christians are to have a voice. This is one of those times. Because if you'll pause long enough, you will find that some of what's going on in the lives of people around you at this time in their life, hard to find anything beautiful in that. As a matter of fact, if you ask them, they're going to tell you there's nothing beautiful about this. I, I'm in regular conversations with somebody who lives in a different city. They find nothing beautiful about life at all where they are right now. What do you do with that? Well, one of the things I would say is we need to be sensitive and we need to make sure we understand what this is saying. What this is saying is he's coming back to in this big picture of life and time, he says, God is involved in all of that. The sovereignty of God is what is being stated here, that even in those times where it looks bad, God is still God. But we have to be sensitive about that. If we're going to reach into the lives of other people, we need to be careful how we do that. Case in point, one of the, the hardest things I've done as a minister was to officiate at a funeral that occurred in East Texas when I was there. It was the first and only time in my life that I have officiated a funeral for three people at one time. 
As it turns out, the reason I had to do that was because there was this young family. It was a mother with two teenage daughters. Her youngest teenage daughter was 15 years old. She had just gotten her learner's permit. And uh, so her mom wanted to give her some practice driving. Her older sister was 19 in the back seat. She was pregnant with her first child. And so the mom and these two sisters got in their car and they started driving out south of Lumberton, Texas. And as they were doing that, there was something happening behind them that they had no idea was coming. Some lady uh, was seeing how fast her car could go. And coming out of the city of Lumberton was doing over 100 miles an hour when she creamed the back of that car of that young girl and her big sister. Both of them died in the impact and the unborn baby of the older sister. And so I stood before a packed church. It just rocked the whole community, some tragedy like that. And I just cringed when I heard somebody who meant well but didn't really know what to say, so they said the wrong thing. Their comment was, well, you know, God is good. All the time, God is good. And I wanted to spin and say, you need to hold on a second. Theologically, I'm okay with that statement. God, his character is always good. But we have to be sensitive to those people that are around us. And if we pause in our time march, then we'll find that there are people around us who are going through things that will hear a verse like this and go, hold on a second. I don't believe that everything's beautiful. This time in my life is terrible. The preacher doesn't let that be the final word. It's a good thing for us to pay attention to because one of the realities is that all of us coming in here today, somebody may be having that kind of day. It's not beautiful at all. If I could change anything, I'd change everything. So what do we say to that? What does this preacher have to say to that? We read the second part of what he says. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Here's what I think he's saying with that. Mankind, unlike plants and animals, has the opportunity, that divine spark created in God's image that has the ability to process time. He has done his survey. There's a time to be born and a time to die, time to weep, time to laugh. What he says is when you can see the big picture of life, you will find that God always is God. And you will see that you have the ability, even though it may be hard today, and some of you are in here today, and it's hard today. Hear what he says. It is hard today. Call it what it is. But recognize that God is not limited to this time. God is God all the time. God is God in every season of life. He is sovereign. He is God in every season of life. And that gives us the ability to see that and to just kind of hunker down into that. I know that that's not a great word. It comes from Snyder, Texas, I think. <laughs> that's where my wife's from. Uh, it gives us the ability to settle into the sovereignty of God. Yes, it's hard today. Yes, that's a horrible circumstance. But God is God over all time. He is God in all time. And the promise that he makes to you is that he will be God all the time. 
So see the difficulty for what it is. See, this is a season of mourning. This is a season of trial. This is not a season of laughing, but there is another day coming. I can hold on to the hope that God will not leave me in this time and in this season. There's never a time when God is not there. And he has put eternity into our hearts so that we might see that. Where is God in this? The last one, I told you I wouldn't have time to get to it, so let me just state it and I'll read the verses. The last question is, where am I going? You need to know where you are and you need to know where God is in it. But you also need to know where you're going. Verses 12 through 15, he says, I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all this toil. This is God's gift to man. That's a good word. He comes to finally say, hey, here's some good news for you. This season in your life has the opportunity to take you to a better place. Verse 14, excuse me, verse 15. No, 14. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. God has done it so that the people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. In all of this, we come back to this basic truth that says, I am not locked in time. I give time way too much space in my life. So pause, evaluate, see God's hand in it, and then go forward with the confidence that says God is there too. I have a plaque that's upstairs in my study. I got it from my mom who taught me much about processing time. The plaque simply says, fear knocked at the door. You know, that's a regular occurrence. In our lives, there's plenty of reasons to be afraid, plenty of reasons to be fearful. Fear knocked at the door. The plaque goes on to say, faith answered. That is my belief and my insistence that God is real and my, my confidence that what I find in his word is true about him, my confidence in knowing that what we find in, in chases like the writer of Ecclesiastes has gone through, his conclusions are right, and that is that there is reason to go on and live. Fear knocked at the door. Faith answered. Nobody was home. It's a great answer. It's a great answer for us, especially today, if you're in a season of life that is difficult, and you're not sure if you're going to get through it, find God there and settle into his truth and his love. Let's pray. So let me invite you today to personalize this message. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what the season of your life is. I don't know what time it is for you. But I do know this. God is there. God in all of his goodness is there and he wants to walk with you through it and bring meaning to your life even in spite of some tough times. So if you don't have God involved in your life, if you don't have that personal relationship with him that comes only through Jesus Christ, this invitation time may well be for you that you can settle that question and allow him that place in your life. It also could be that you're here today 
And something that's been said, something that's been sung, moves you to a point of saying, I, I, need, to, I need to do something with this. Maybe this time is a good time of prayer for you. We don't do this all the time. I'm certainly open to it anytime. Maybe as a family, you're going through stuff, you just need to pray together. Nothing magic about these steps down here. It's not a bad place to put some tangible action to some things that you know you need to do. So maybe you come up here and pray if you want to do that. It's fine. I won't bother you. Certainly wouldn't embarrass you or anything like that. Maybe you want to join the church, whatever. God's dealing with you about something. So let him deal with you and let this time be what it needs to be. And we pray, Father, use this time. We thank you for it. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. Let your spirit be alive and active now in our lives to change us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. You come.